ago, I, I got online and I was just seeing what the, the most popular news stories of the day were. So I kind of get on MSN and just to see what's happening. And the leading article, the leading story that came out had nothing to do with like inflation. It had nothing to do with someone who, who died in an accident. It had nothing to do with the war. The very first article that MSN let out with was a story about Leonardo DiCaprio. And that caught my attention. I was like, oh, that's the one? That's the one you're going to lead out with? And so the story was about how Leonardo DiCaprio only dates women who are 25 years or younger. Now, to be real honest, I don't really get sucked in much to the celebrity gossip. It never really appeals to me that much. But for some reason, this article really really appealed to me. And so I clicked on the article and I started reading a little bit about, about Leo. Apparently that's what the friends call him. So we can call him Leo if you want. Feel free to do that. Um, so they were, they were talking about this and, and social media had been in a frenzy because Leonardo DiCaprio broke up with his girlfriend two months after she turned 25. And this was the eighth documented time that this has happened. And so they started researching, they started looking into this, and here were some quotes from people, not from Leonardo, not from Leo himself, but from some of his friends, people who are close to them. Here's what they say, by the time the girl reaches 25, they are looking for more. They want to get married and settle down, but that's not what Leo wants. He doesn't want a family, he doesn't want to be around women who, pray, who press him for that. The minute he meets a girl, his, the minute he meets a girl, the clock is ticking. If she gets too old, in a couple of years, she's gone. If she gets too close, in a couple of years, she's gone. And as I read that article, my first, and still my natural instinct is like, how shallow is that? Like, as I think about that, like, dude, you're 47, okay? Like, grow up a little bit. But like, as I just read this story, I think how shallow that is, how, how gross that is, and, and how just pathetic. It really is. But like as I've been thinking about that story even more, especially in light of the, the story that we're reading, the, what we're talking about today, I still think it's shallow. But even more so, I think it's just sad. Like it's, it's incredibly sad because there's no commitment there. There's no loyalty there. There's no long-standing relationship that is going to stand the test of time. And I think about my own marriage. I think about like if we would have stopped being married at age 25, how much of joy, how much fulfillment, how much love we would have missed out on. Because if we've gotten older, as we've gotten to know each other more, if we've been in this covenant, this relationship together the more we begin to learn each other. We learn the things that aggravate each other. We learn the things that bring each other joy. And most days we do less of the things that aggravate each other and, and more of the things that bring us joy. But like, if you guys think about this, think about these relationships that you've had, the longer you've been, even if just a friendship, the longer that you're friends with people, the longer you're in this committed friendship, this committed relationship, the sweeter it becomes, the more joyful it becomes. As you think about marriage, and as I think about my own marriage, it's not just centered on commitment, it's centered on covenant. And so that's what we're, we're going to talk about today. As we get ready to, we're finishing up the survey of, of the chapters of Deuteronomy, and then we'll, we'll look at the book as a whole next week. But as we do, we're going to look at this through the lens of covenant and the way that we are invited to know God. So if you're taking notes and want to make sure that you're understanding where we're at, is we are invited to know God through His covenant. So covenant is a means of, as a means to, to knowing God. So if you look at chapter 29, chapter 29, verse 1 of Deuteronomy, here's how it starts out. It says this, These are the terms of the covenant the Lord commanded Moses to make with the Israelites while they were in the land of Moab, in addition to the covenant he made with them at Mount Sinai. 
Now, as you read through that, we're going to find the word covenant pop up two different times. And I don't know about you, but covenant isn't really a word that I use too terribly often. Like it's one that's more just kind of, we, we relegate, we say, okay, this is, this is a Bible word. Like I don't, I don't go to my kids and say, hey, I, I, covenant, I covenant you this. You can, you, can covenant, you can covenant me on this. Like, like I, don't, I don't say that. When, when, I'm talking, when we talk to our boss, we don't say, hey, I've got it. I covenant you. Like, we don't really use that word a whole lot. And so maybe it's one you read it and you're just kind of like, oh, sure, that's a, that's a good word, a Bible word. But like, we, we fail to really grasp what begins to happen. And, and so like, this is, this is actually a really powerful word. If you read through the Old Testament, 283 times this word, this word pops up. So 283 times the word covenant comes up. 27 times in the book of Deuteronomy, we're going to find the word covenant. That is tied for the most as is in Genesis. When the, when the world gets started, 27 times in Genesis, 27 times in Deuteronomy, we find this word, word covenant. And if we were going to flip all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 6, the first place we see this word, it's, it's when God is speaking to Noah. And he's having this conversation about how wicked the people have become. And he's told Noah, you're going to build this ark, and this is the size that the ark is going to be. And here's what he says. The Lord says this, look, I am about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die. But here it is. But I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. And so here, here's what we see. Is in our text today, we are going to get a chance to understand God better, to know him more through covenant. And we see this with, with, with Noah. Like Noah gets this opportunity. If we look a little bit below the surface, God is giving Noah this invitation to trust him. He said, hey, I am going to wipe out everything. I am going to destroy everything, but I am going to make a covenant with you that you're, you're going you're to live. I'm going to make a covenant with you that you are going to survive this. And it's really easy for Noah to have tangible proof of whether God is going to keep his covenant or not, right? Because he's still alive. Like there's going to be, it's going to be black or white whether God is going to keep his covenant. Is he going to keep his promises? Is he going to keep this commitment to, to what, he's going, what God has said he's going to do? And so some other ways to kind of think through covenant, maybe just some words that might be helpful for us to, to kind of wrap our minds around this is, is that of a, a treaty or an agreement. So maybe think like this political, two parties make this political agreement. Like we won't attack you, you won't attack us, everything's gonna be happy. If we get attacked, you help us. If you get attacked, we help you. Like that's, that's, maybe that's a word we begin to see or maybe even this, this pledge that you're going to do. Another way of thinking of this maybe is in, in terms of a contract. And as you think about this, we think about covenant, we think about contract, but there's this treaty, there's pledge, there's, there's agreement, there's contract. But the thing is, none of those words grasp the depth, the beauty, the, the fullness of this word covenant. Like this is something so much more. Let's just take contract and covenant for just a minute. So they, they differ in a few areas. So contracts are made as, a, as like a pledge in exchange for promises. This, this is a contract. Whereas a covenant is just the solemn oath that you are making. See the difference? A little, little bit different? So a, a contract says, you know, this is in exchange for goods. Whereas like a covenant is an exchanging of lives. So maybe a, a helpful way to understand this is this. Contract says, 
this is yours, that is mine. Covenant says, I am yours, you are mine. Guys, see the difference? Like, see, the, see how much better covenant is than contract? You see the depth of that? Just think about, think about this in regards of, of, of a marriage. Like, think of how messy and how terrible a marriage would be if it is nothing more than contractual obligations. If it is nothing more than a contract, okay, I'll do the dishes only if you cook supper. You do the laundry, then I'll mow the grass. I'll be more loving only if you clean the house. If you lose a few pounds, then I'll be more physical. Like, just start thinking about this. Like, it would be an absolute mess, right? It would be terrible. Like, as we start thinking about marriage, we start thinking about love in, in terms of, like, contract. Things begin to, to fall apart. Like, we're, never gonna, we're not going to be at a wedding ceremony. And, like, we're sitting back and the vows are being exchanged. No one is going to say, oh, how sweet, if the, the vows are... I can drive your car and you can live in my house. Or you can sleep in my bed, but I get to con take control of the remote control. Like no one's going to be like, oh, that's so sweet and beautiful. Like we're, we're not going to think that. Why? Because that's not, the way, that's not the way marriage works. It's not the way relationship works. Contract is, is, is marketplace. And covenant is, is more of marriage. So it's relational. It's this beautiful picture that we begin to see. This contract is you do this then I'll do that. Covenant says, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer. Marriages fail because they become, they become contract, like a contract, rather than, than a covenant. And so we see, like, there's this beautiful sense, like we see this in marriage. It's one of the things in Ephesians 5. It talks about we, we see the mystery of Christ through the, through the context of marriage. And as we read through the Bible, like, there's a number of different covenants that's made. One that's in particular is the one that Ruth makes with her mother-in-law. Like she says, I, I'm making this covenant. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I'll stay. And this is this beautiful covenant. It's this beautiful story in the book of Ruth. But even our best attempts at covenant, they fail and they pale in comparison to that of God. Because God's covenant, it is just so much greater, so much more. There's something that separates God's covenant from any covenant that we can make. And the answer to what that is, in a word, it's hesed. So let's, 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 it's a Hebrew word. We're going we're gonna to say this together, okay? Hesed. We ready? On three. One, two, three. Hesed. You got to kind of like do that kind of thing, like you're making a snake noise. Like it's, one more time. One, two, three. Hesed. All right. If there was a Hebrew scholar, you're probably like, yeah, you're telling that absolutely wrong. But close enough, right? And so, but it's, it's this word hesed. And just to, to remind you to, to our God Has a Name series, we, we walked through this word. We started out the year because we knew we were going to be building on those principles throughout the entire year. So just a little reminder here is, is this word doesn't really have a great English translation. Like as you open your Bible, depending on what translation of the Bible you have, you will probably have a little bit different word for this word has said. There is steadfast love. There's goodness, there's loving kindness, there's faithfulness, there's, there's love. My favorite term I gave you guys when we did the series was loyal love. And that's what we're beginning to see because deep down, this is what we long for. We long for this loyal love because we know affection, we know feelings, we know attraction begins to fade. And what we all long for is said. What we long for is this loyal love, this deep love, not out of obligation, but out of commitment, out of covenant. 
So what separates God's love, what separates us, his covenant, is, is his hased. It's relational, not transactional. And the thing is, like, as, we begin to, as we begin to grasp this understanding of God's covenant, as we begin to look at entering into God's covenant, we see this covenant that he has made with us. It, it, doesn't have, it has no other choice but to change the way that we view him than to change the way that we know him because he, he, it's so different than anything we know. Like when, when times get tough, God won't walk out on you. He won't leave you on red. He's not going to quit on you. He's not going to dump you and walk away. Like he's not, That's not going to happen because God, he... He has said he has this loyal love. And unlike other covenants, contracts, or agreements, here's the thing. God's covenant is rooted in his unchanging, unfailing, and perfect love. Literally, could just say it's rooted in has said. Because that's, that's, that's what it is. His, his contract, his covenant, they are rooted deeply in these things, in his love for us, his loyal love. And so one of the things that I've been doing throughout this series is, is each morning I've been reading through a chapter of Deuteronomy. So I've been trying to read through the book of Deuteronomy as we've been going through this series. So I've done it one and a half times now. And last week I, I read through this passage and, and I read through Deuteronomy 9. And there's this little statement that happens in the book of Deuteronomy 9 verses 24. And, and here's what it says. Moses says this about the people. You have been rebe- rebelling against the Lord as long as I have known you. You have been rebelling against the Lord as long as I have known you. How long has Moses known them? Most of them forever, right? He's known them their entire lives. So he, he's saying, like, you have been rebelling. You have been unfaithful. You have been turning away from him as long as I have known you. And as I was reading through that, I was like, and it's really easy to do this as we read through the book of Deuteronomy. You're like, oh, you guys are terrible. Like, you are awful people. But for some reason, when I read through this text, it was just like this light bulb moment for me. It's like, hey, Luke. That, that's you, buddy. Like, you are, you are them. We are Israel. And not like literally Israel. Like, we're not the people of Israel. But metaphorically speaking, like, we see this playing out here. It's like, it's, we are them. They are us. Like, we're just like them. This is not a, a they problem. It's very much a, a we problem. And it helped me tremendously when I started reading through the book of Deuteronomy, not as a them, but as a me. And seeing what begins to play out and seeing the way that God is, is giving these invitations, but he's also giving these warnings to, to me. And so in spite of everything, God knows about us, our stubbornness, our rebellion, our pride, our selfishness, all of our issues that he knows about us. In spite of all of that, he invites us to know him more. He invites us to know him better. He invites us into this covenantal relationship with him so that we can truly get to know him. And the section that we're overviewing, it starts in chapter 27. I think it's really important for us. Let's just look at verses 1 through 10 of chapter 27. See the way that this, this section starts out. Here's what happens. Then Moses and the leaders of Israel gave this charge to the people. Obey all these commands that I am giving you today. When you cross the Jordan River and enter the land the Lord has given you, set up some large stones and coat them with plaster. Write this whole body of instruction on them as you cross the river and enter into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing of milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. When you cross the Jordan, set up these stones at Mount Ebal and coat them with plaster as I am commanding you today. 
Then build an altar there to the Lord your God using natural uncut stones. You must not shape the stones with an iron tool. Build an altar of build the altar of uncut stones and use it to offer burnt offerings to the Lord your God. Also sacrifice peace offerings on it and celebrate by feasting there there before the Lord. You must clearly write all the instructions on the stones coated with plaster. Then Moses and the Levitical priests addressed all of Israel as follows. O Israel, be quiet and listen. Today we are become the people of the Lord your God. So you must obey the Lord your God by keeping all these commandments and decrees that I am giving you today. So I just want to make sure we, we understand what's happening here. What Moses is laying out is he's talking about crossing the Jordan, Jordan River. He's talking about getting to this land flowing with milk and honey, this land that God has promised them. So this, what he's saying is like, when you get into the promised land, this promised land has been over 400 years in the making. God made this promise all the way back to Abraham. And now it is finally getting ready to come true. Today is the day we're getting ready to cross the Jordan River. And as soon as you do, you're going to stop. You're not going to go and enjoy the bountiful land. You're not just going to go to the land flowing with milk and honey. The first thing that you are going to do as soon as you get your feet out of the river is we are stopping and we are going to build an altar. And we are going to coat it with plaster and we're going to write down every single thing that we have just heard. Like, you guys get that? Like, they have been waiting so long to get into this land. They're so excited. And the first thing that they are going to do is they are going to stop. And they are going to... Remember the covenant. The first thing that they are going to do when they get into this land is they are going to be reminded of what God has called them to do. The very first thing that they are going to do is recommit to his commitment. And I think that's so significant for us. It's like God is, why, why is God telling them to do this? Because he knows. He knows the temptation that they are going to face. He knows the challenges that are going to, going to face them as they cross into this land. He knows that life is going to be different than they have ever seen before and that they have to recommit themselves to him. They have to do this. The very first thing they have to do when they cross that threshold of the promised land is recommit themselves to God. And here's the thing, as we begin to, to read through the book of Deuteronomy as a whole, as we begin to, to take it all together, we find out that this is not just a, a one-time thing that Israel is to do. Israel isn't to stop and to be reminded of God's goodness and what he has done for them, or be reminded of the covenant one time. No, this is meant to be an every single day thing. In Deuteronomy 11, verses 18 through 20, it says this. He says, so commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them on your hands and wear them on your forearms or your forehead as a reminder. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In a few weeks, we're going to study Deuteronomy 6. That same passage is going to come up again. But it's this reminder. It's every single day. We, we need to remember. Every single day, we need to be recommitted to God's commitment. Every single day, we need to be reminded of his covenants. And like, I mean, get this, like when you lay down, most of, us, most of us sleep every single day, unless you're like an insomniac. Like most of us sleep every day. Most of us get up every day, unless you're lazy or, I don't know, depressed maybe. But like most of us, like most of us sleep and we get out of bed every day. We walk somewhere every day, even if it's just to the kitchen. And so he's saying like, he's trying to get us to understand like everything that you're doing, 
Make sure that you're remembering these things. Make sure you're remembering these covenants. Make sure you're remembering these commands. I think it's really significant for us to do this every single day. Before Israel was to, to, to breach the threshold of the promised land, they were to stop and to remember. Before you breach the threshold of your bedroom door, stop and remember. Before you walk out of the door to, to go to work, stop and remember. Stop and be reminded of God's goodness and God's faithfulness and of the covenant. Recommit to Him. The book of 1 Corinthians, it says, Paul writes this simple statement, I die daily. That's this decision every single day when I wake up, I am going to submit myself to, you, to the Lord. And, and perhaps you know this because the, the way that you start your day, and research backs this up, the way we start our day often like, sets the mood for the day. Like, you, you guys can think through this in your own life on Friday. Like, I don't know if you guys notice, Emma has this lovely plaster on her forehead. So on Friday morning, Ava and or Tiffany and, and Emma got up out of bed before me, and I was still laying in bed, and the next, I dozed off back to sleep, and the next thing I hear is screaming, and then I hear, Luke, Luke, and like, so I'm like jumping out of bed and like stumbling around, and then I go and like try to see what's wrong, and we meet like at the door frame, and there's just like blood pouring everywhere off of Emma. Like she had fallen, hit her head on the radiator, split her head open. It was great. Uh, but like, not really. And, but like, we just go into trauma mode and go into the bathroom. I clean her head up. I get it plastered up. I get it to stop bleeding. We take her to the doctor. They glue her forehead together, and everything's fine. Like within five minutes, she wasn't hurting anymore. And within like two hours, like she was all like glued up. Everything was good to go. But that whole day, I was just like on edge. That whole day, I was just a little bit jittery. Like it wasn't even from the coffee either. I was just like a little bit jittery. I was just a little bit on edge because like my morning had started out a little crazy. And it's not just when Emma falls and hits her head. Sometimes if I flip over on my phone and, and I look to see if my sports team won. And if they lose, I'm a little bit grumpy when I wake up in the morning. Or if I somehow flip on social media and see something crazy that's going on. I automatically start comparing my life to someone else and oh, well, look what they're having for breakfast and here I am having porridge again. And like, I start to feel this way and like, so the way that we start our days begins to set the mood for the way that we begin to take our day. Can I just recommend something for all of us? Before we cross the threshold of wherever it may be, what if we open the word of God and remember the covenant Recommit to his word. Read that before we do anything else. Before we do anything at all, we're going to commit ourselves to, to hearing the word of God. Let that be the first thing that enters our mind for the day. Not what Leonardo DiCaprio is doing with somebody else. Like, let what God has done for us and what God is doing, what God wants from us, let that be the first thing that penetrates our hearts and our minds for the day. So Israel is, is told, like, as soon as you cross over, remember. Remember what God has done. I don't know if you guys uh, are big readers in the room. Anybody a big reader, love reading? So this week I was reading another MSN uh, article about book series that started out really well but ended terribly. And so maybe some of you guys can have a few of these in your mind, right? Like, okay, one of the first one that they listed on this, this, this series or this article was the Bridget Jones series. I don't know if anyone has read that. I haven't, but apparently it starts out really well. But then like, it literally is just a repeat of the same story again and again and again. In the third book, she's 40 years old doing the exact same thing, even more ridiculous and unbelievable, but yet she never matures, she never grows up. Like, that was one of the top things that people were, were wrote. And here's actually what one critic said. It says, 
this book series is like listening to someone who had perfect pitch and now can't sing a single note. Pretty harsh. Another one was the Divergent series. I can testify for this one because I testify. I can testify for this because I read this series. Like the first book, pretty good. Divergent was pretty good. Insurgent, it's fine. And then you get to Allegiant and you're just like, what just happened? Like halfway through the book, the plot falls apart and she's just like pulling out random things and we finish the book and you're just like, I don't really know what just happened there. But I don't know. You may, and another one was the Harry Potter series. It, it's hard to pick on this when you've sold 500 million books. But like people say, like, and, and it's mostly centered on the fact that they don't like who the characters end up with. Like they should have ended up with someone else. And like, but like we, we think about these series, these books that started out well, but, but ended poorly. Did anyone as a kid ever do one of those you, you choose the ending books? You guys know what I'm talking about? Choose your own ending. So what would happen is, is in the book, there would be about, about, about a dozen, maybe two, maybe about 25. There's actually, there's a lot of different options of how you can choose for the story to play out. So if you're reading through this book, you'll get to page four and it'll say, if you want this to happen, go to page 18. If you decide to do this, go to page 22. And that just continues on through the book. And there's about 50 different scenarios, 50 different endings that can happen. So you get to choose. If you don't like it, just step back, go back a few pages and and try again. And here's what God is doing for the people of Israel. He is telling them, hey guys, you get to pick the ending. You get to see how the story plays out. It's up to you of how this is going to end. It's up to you how your time in the promised land is going to go. You get to choose which way this is going to go. It is either going to be one of blessing or, or one of curses. So let's look at verse, or chapter 28. Chapter 28, it's, it's a lovely read. It's dedicated all to blessings and mostly curses, but we're not going to read all of it together. But the first part, verses 1 through, through 12 or 1 through 14, is about the blessings. So I'm just going to mention a few of the blessings here. It says this, The Lord will conquer your enemies when they attack you. Sign me up for that. The Lord will guarantee a blessing on everything you do and fill your storehouse with grain. Cool, let's do that. Verse 11, The Lord will give you prosperity in the land, blessing you with many children, numerous livestock, and abundant crops. Sounds good. He will bless the work that you do. Sign me up, right? Sounds good, God. But then he goes on to say, but wait, if you do not follow me, if you do not keep your end of the covenant, if you choose a different ending, here's what's going to happen. Let's look at some of the curses. The Lord himself will send curses, send, send on you curses, confusion and frustration, everything you do. The Lord will affect you, afflict you with diseases until none of you are left. No, thank you. Uh, the Lord will cause you to be defeated by your enemies. How about this one? Anybody want this one? Your corpses will be food for the scavenging bird and the wild animals. I don't think any of us are saying sign us up for that. Verse 27, the Lord will afflict you with boils of Egypt, with tumors, with scurvy and the itch from which you cannot be cured. No thanks. The Lord will strike you with madness, blindness, and panic. What about this one in verse 30? You will be engaged to a woman, but another man will sleep with her. You will build a house, but someone else will live in it. You will plant a vineyard, but you will never be able to enjoy its fruits. No thanks. The, the blessings sound good, but, but the, the curses, not so much. 14 blessings, 32 curses. And, and maybe there's a lesson there, but we're not going to get there. But like, here's what we begin to see. is like We get to choice. We get to choose. Is it going to be blessings or is it going to be curses? And maybe as we read through those curses... 
Maybe you're like me and you think to yourself, why would anyone choose that? Like, I don't even know what scurvy is. I don't want it. Like, why would anyone choose that? Why would anyone choose these curses? But once again, I'm reminded that I'm, I'm Israel, that these are me. Why would anyone choose to live anything outside of the, the abundant and satisfying life that Jesus has to offer? Why would anyone settle for these cheap knockoffs, these terrible, these other things that only that the world gives us when, when abundant joy is available to us? Why would we choose curses when we can choose blessing? And so what we begin to see is that obedient, obedient faith leads to blessing and disobedient leads to disaster. So don't miss this, church. It's not a question of whether God will keep his part of the covenant but whether we will keep ours. It's not a question of whether God is going to keep his part. We can see throughout the pages of Scripture, God has kept his part of the covenant. The question is, the offer that is on to every single one of us is, are you? Are you going to follow the covenant? Are you going to do these things that God has called you to do? Are you going to follow him? Because he is going to keep his end. Are you going to keep your end? And once again, like he just continues to remind us of the covenant. Moses, at the end of his life, when he's getting ready to finish leading Israel, in chapter 29, he, he reviews the covenant with them again. Look at this, verses uh, 2 through, through 9, or 2 through 8. In chapter 29, verses 2 through 8, it says, Moses summoned all the Israelites and said to them, You have seen with your own eyes everything the Lord did in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and all the servants of his whole country, all the great tests of strength, miraculous signs, and amazing wonders. But to this day, the, the Lord has not given you minds to understand, nor ears or eyes to see, nor ears to hear. For 40 years I led you through the wilderness, yet your clothes and sandals did not wear out. You ate no bread and drank no wine or other alcoholic drink, but he provided for you so that you would know he is the Lord your God." When, the king, when we came here, King Sihon of Heshbon and King Og of Bashan came out to fight against us, but we defeated them. We took their land and gave it to the tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh as their grant of land. And so Moses is going. He said, remember, let's look back at everything that has happened here. And in verse 4, it says, you don't have eyes to see, ears to hear. They still can't comprehend how amazing what God did in Egypt was. And he's, he's calling them back. He's reminding them, we, we can trust God because we have seen what he has done. We've seen the way he has continued to work. We've seen the way that he has held up his end of the covenant time and time and time again. And he reminds them of all of this. And I think he's doing this to get them to the point of verse 6. It says this, He provided for you so that you would know that he is the Lord your God. He did all of this so that you would know that he keeps his covenant. He did all of this so that you would be reminded of who he is. He did all of this so that you would know that he is the Lord, your God. Remember, a few weeks ago, we talked about the shift that happens in the book of Deuteronomy. Chapters 1 through 4, it's our God. From 5 on, it's, it's your God. And this is one of the times we see that it's incredibly important. Because here's the thing, friends. In the end, we must learn to trust God. In the end, we must learn to trust God. 
it's no longer about Moses' trust. It's no longer about the covenant that Moses has made. It's no longer about the, the trust that, that your friend has. It's no longer about the trust of your pastor. At the, end, at the end of the day, it's all about our trust. Are we going to trust him? So the Lord does these things so that, so that we would know that he is the Lord, our God. Guys, we've been invited into this. We have been invited to know God, which the entire book is about, is this invitation to know him. We are being welcomed into this incredible thing, this incredible covenant. Let's keep reading in verse, chapter 29, verses 9 through 14. He says, Therefore, obey the terms of the covenant and so that you will prosper in everything you do. All of you, tribal leaders, elders, officers, and all men of Israel, are standing here today in the presence of the Lord your God. Your little ones and your wives are among you, as well as foreigners living among you who chop your wood and carry your water. You are standing here today to enter into the covenant that the Lord of the Lord your God. The Lord is making this covenant, including its the curses. By entering into this covenant today, you will He will establish you as his people, and confirm that he is your God, just as he promised you, and as he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But you are not the only one with whom I am making this covenant with its curses. I am making this covenant both to you who stand here today in the presence of the Lord, and also the future generations who are not standing here. Catch this again. Do not miss verse 13. And verse 15. Like these, these are so important. I have this whole section highlighted. These are, these are underlined. Look at, four, look at 15 again. It says, I am making this covenant both with you who are standing here today in the presence of the Lord your God and also with the future generations who are not standing here today. God is in this for the long haul. He is, he's in. He is not giving up on this covenant. He is committed to this for the long haul. But I think... Also for us in verse 13, it's so important. He says, he will establish you as his people and confirm that he is your God. God desires to be your God and for us to be his people. Guys, don't miss that. God wants you. God is inviting you. God wants to be your God. He wants you to be his people. His, his person. He wants you to be his. There's this invitation that has been given to each of us. That's, we're invited to truly know God. He wants to be with us. And so once we honor, when we enter into this relationship, as we enter into this, this covenant, what we begin to see is, is not only does God keep his promises, but also that he's long-suffering, that he's in this for the long haul, that he is committed to this, Regardless of what happens, if we, read through the book of the, if we read through the Old Testament, we see how long-suffering God is. He sent judges, and then he sent prophets to point the people back to him. He sent Jesus, his son, who gave his life so that his people could be restored. He could be rescued and back into the, brought into this new covenant that he's making. Like, God is in this, and he's, he's welcoming all of us into this covenant. And we are invited to know him truly and deeply through covenant. And we see that he keeps his promises. And it's only in covenant, it's only in deep commitment that we begin to truly know someone. When I was a, when I was a teenager, I, I, I was dating this girl. Her name was Jessie. 
And we only dated for a few months, but it, it came time for her to have a birthday. And she had, it was her 16th birthday, and they were having this big old birthday party, and they were having a barbecue. Not like the Irish barbecue. We're talking like eastern North Carolina, where I'm from, pig picking. Okay, so we just, we get a whole hog, put it on the grill, like we're eating, it's, it's the proper pig picking. And like, I have never met a pig picking I didn't like. And so I go to this party, I'm super excited, we're ready to go, and apparently we had not reached the point in our relationship where we ate in front of each other. Right? A little weird. I don't know how we thought each other were being sustained, like clearly we eat, but young and dumb, and like, she's like, oh, I'm not hungry. I'm, and I'm like, what, what is happening here? And then I'm just like, I'm trying to pick up the social cues. Like, I, am I not supposed to eat? I don't know what's happening. And so she wasn't eating. So I was like, well, I guess I can't eat now. And then like, whenever she wasn't looking, I'm like grabbing some barbecue or some things like, because I was, I was starving, I was hungry. But there was like, there wasn't this, there wasn't this covenant, right? There, was this, there wasn't this commitment. And what we begin to see is in commitment, in covenant, we get to see, we're seen for who we truly are, who we really are. If there is ever this inkling of fear that someone is going to be non-committal to us, there is always going to be this, this hesitancy to truly be, to truly be us. And so this is one of the beautiful things that we see is, is God in this covenant. When we enter into this covenant, we get to see the trueness, this fullness of who he is. He's saying, hey, come taste and see that the Lord is good. Enter into this relationship, enter into this covenant with me and see how good that I am. Truly get to know me. Get to see that, that he delivers on his promises. And as we've read through the book of Deuteronomy, like we've talked about all of these different invitations, the way God has invited us to know him. And maybe you, you read that and you're like, yeah, it sounds really good. But, but I'm not really sure. Like, it, it sounds a little too good to be true. When Tiffany, before we moved, she was teaching at a, a primary school in the States. It was called Pines, Pines Elementary. And, and so as she was teaching there, like, things were, things were bad in the school. Like, there were no books for the kids. There was, nothing, there was none of that. And so Tiffany is there. She's trying to teach. There's, like, these obscure, like, lesson things that, things that our kids are supposed to know. But there's really no way to get there. And so the teacher or the principal told them, hey, just, just Google things and find lessons to be able to teach the kids. Okay, great. And, and so, like, every class, like, that's what they're doing. They're working, trying to learn, trying to get to these, these learning goals. And Tiffany is, like, overwhelmed. She's stressed out. She doesn't know how to teach. She's running out of patience and doesn't really know if she can do this. And she goes to her principal and she just like lays it all out. She's like really like forthcoming. It's like, this is what's happening. And I'm stressed. I'm overwhelmed. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. And the principal looks at her and is like, I know what you need. I can help you. And so Tiffany is like having this moment of relief. Like, oh, okay. She's going she's gonna to help me out here. She goes to her desk and, and Tiffany's expecting her to hand her this big pile of books. Oh, now you can teach your kids because here's the books. Um, but no, she comes and she brings her a, uh, a keypad that plugs into your computer and said, here you go. Now you can put the grades in quicker and that'll save you lots of time. <laughs> okay, I don't even have grades because I don't know what to teach them, but this is great. And like, it was just this moment of like over promising, but extremely under delivering. And maybe like we begin to see that and we start to wonder, are these promises, are these promises true? Or are these over-promising? Like, as we begin to see, like, this invitation to know God better, and we're thinking, like, okay, that seems really good, but is it possible? 
Turn to chapter 30. It'll help you out a little bit. Verses 11 through 14. We'll finish, we'll finish here. It says this, This command I am giving you today is not too difficult for you. It's not beyond your reach. It is not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask who will go up to heaven and bring it down so that we can hear and obey it. It is not kept beyond the sea so far away that we must ask who will cross the sea to bring it to us so that we can hear it and obey it. No, this message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and your hearts so that you can obey it. It's in reach. God wants to have this covenant relationship with us. He wants to do this. As we begin to read through the, the story, as we continue to look through the story of Israel, we know, like, Israel messes up. And God knows that they're going to mess up. So God sets this sacrificial system into place. It's like, when you fail, when you, when you fall away, when you mess up, here's what you are to do to make yourself right with me again. He, he, he writes that into the law of, of the Bible. But then he goes on and he sends us another sacrificial system. He sends us Jesus to be the ultimate sacrifice and to bring this new covenant, this new relationship. You curious? Read, read Hebrews 8 about this new covenant that Jesus brings. But he brings in these, this new sacrifice, this new, new offer for us. And what we see is in, look at verse 15. We'll close here. Today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and and disaster. That's what's, that's what's at stake. If we accept this invitation to know God, if we accept this invitation to follow Jesus, what's at stake? It's, it's, it's life or death. Are we going to live for Him or, or are we not? Blessing or curse? Life or death? Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank You.